Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Books, Bites, Booze, the podcast. If you're new here, I'm Madison. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. My name's Alexis. In this episode, we're going to be wrapping up our discussion on True Biz by Sarah Novich. We also have new cocktail recipes, dinner recipes, a new bookstagram of the month. Then we're also going to be introducing the next book that we're going to be reading next month which I know that we're not even done with true biz but I'm really excited for the next book like it's going to be really good I'm I'm super excited so we'll talk about that one a little bit at the end but before we do that let's catch up a little bit what have you been up to in the past like two weeks three weeks (laughs) yeah I think it's been like three weeks so we had fourth of July so we just like kind of spent it as a pool day But my mom and I actually started doing something pretty cool that I have been wanting to tell you about. So we're doing like a bungee jumping fitness class. What? (laughs) But it's not like actually like bungee jumping. Like you're just like hanging from the ceiling like in a bungee cord. I think I actually saw that on your mom's Instagram. Did she post that on Instagram? You did. Yes, she did. That looked so cool. It's like such good exercise. It's ridiculous. It takes a lot of getting used to because it's like obviously very awkward and not like what you're used to. Like you're in this big ass harness and like you have this like bungee cord pulling you up. But it's so much fun. We've had a lot of fun with it. It kicks our butt. That sounds amazing. I want to try that. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's like the only new thing. So do you just jump? Like do y'all just run with the bungee cords on? I mean you do like a bunch of different like strength training. Um, Like we lift like we have incorporate like dumbbells and kettlebells and stuff like that into it. You like do jumps and stuff with the bungee cord squats with the bungee on you and things like that. That so, is yeah. so fun. Anyway, so what have you been up to? Um, I've been doing a lot of hiking, a lot of reading. Uh, Madison and I had a little catch up before we jumped on this call, but my boyfriend Tim and I are taking some time apart, you know, announcing it on the podcast. It's weird. It's making it like official, but yeah, so <laughs> I've been centering on myself. I've been going and hiking. I went to a waterfall yesterday, which is really, really cool. Um, it wasn't a very long hike but it was like straight down into this basin. And so it was like a Creek and then on the right side was a big waterfall. So it was really, really fun. Um, But yeah, I've just been doing things like that and trying to stay on school because I feel like I'm really distracted right now. So I'm just trying to, you know, keep the peace. Keep it all together. (laughs) Exactly. Yes. Self-care has been the theme. Yeah, it should be. (laughs) So this week, I am actually making a watermelon basil margarita. Last episode, I did the frozen mango margarita, so I'm kind of sticking to that theme. I really like rimming my margarita glasses in like tahini spices, so that is what I use to rim my glass. If you don't have tahini spices, you can obviously do salt or sugar or whatever you want. And then place your glass with your rim on it into the freezer or the refrigerator to get cold. Take like a cup, maybe a cup and a half of fresh watermelon. Squeeze a whole lime, just the juice, into the watermelon. Some fresh basil, a little bit of agave syrup, and then just kind of like muddle all of that together until the watermelon isn't like chunky anymore. 
and then add about six ounces of your favorite tequila. You can also slice up some fresh jalapenos and um, place on top for like a garnish and of course some additional fresh basil as well. And then Yum. that's it. It's like so refreshing and it's perfect. For I salad. never had used the tahini sauce or the spices until you talked about it on the podcast episode. And I tried that instead of a sugar rim. Uh, the next time I got a margarita. Oh my God. It was so yeah. good. It gives it just that little. Spice. So good. And it's so pretty. I am drinking a blueberry mint cocktail. Um, I'm actually currently drinking the leftover Prosecco from it. So I'm just drinking Prosecco right now, but it's from this cocktail that I made. (laughs) I'll list the ingredients and then I'll like talk about the steps to make it. But you'll just need a handful of fresh blueberries. Um, If you want to do like strawberries or raspberry or anything else, you can do any kind of berry, but I chose blueberries. You're going to use five mint leaves, a little bit of raw honey, a little bit of lemon, a pinch of sea salt, and Prosecco. I use the Lamarca Prosecco. That's just my favorite, but you can use any kind of like bubbly, sparkly wine. And then you're just going to add the blueberries to a glass and muddle them or mash them with a fork. Add in mint, honey, lemon juice, and sea salt to the glass and give everything a little stir. And all of that is pretty small. Like it's not going to take up much of your glass. Like it's just a little bit tearing of the mint leaves and throw in those five mint leaves, just a drizzle of the honey, just a squeeze of the lemon and a pinch of the sea salt. So it'll just take a little little bit of your glass. Then you're going to stir that all together, add ice to the glass, and you're just going to top it with that Prosecco. And it makes it like a nice little spritzy poolside beverage. Yum. That sounds really good. I'm really into like the fresh fruit cocktails. And it like gives you that little bit of nutrients. You know, it was, um, I actually can't take credit for this recipe. It's from... I think it's Bia, Bia Wellness on Instagram. It was made from their hydrating electrolyte mocktail. And then it called for sparkling water instead of Prosecco. So I just switched those two out and made it into a cocktail. And it's really, really good. So you could have it as a mocktail or a cocktail. For our sober people, just use sparkling water. Before we jump into our discussion, we just wanted to touch on a couple things. Number one being that like it's not lost on us that we are talking about a book about deaf culture on like an audio platform. <laughs> a little hypocritical. Um, the reason that we chose this book, I think for both of us, number one is we've always been interested in sign language. We talked a little bit about how we both wanted to kind of take a class on it in college and you know the class was pretty limited I actually wanted it to be my minor so we've kind of always had an interest in it and then number two we learned so much in this book I know that I learned so many things that I did not previously know I think it's important to recommend this book because I think so many people can learn a lot about the deaf community from this little love letter um to the deaf culture. Yeah, so, yeah. I think we've learned so much just from this one book. I feel like True Biz has shown a completely different side to the deaf culture that I've never even known about. You know, like I, I don't know many deaf people. I, it's not talked about in history class. It's not something that I've had a lot of access to besides my classes in sign language, you know, and you don't get that yeah. history that should be taught you know like you just don't get that it's really important to us moving forward that we make our podcast more accessible like we need to hold ourselves accountable and make it just a more accessible podcast across platforms so we're gonna start 
releasing transcripts for every episode. That'll be up on our website at booksbitesbooze.com. So we're going to make sure that's up there because, you know, this is really important. And we're sitting here talking about deaf culture and we recognize the privilege that we're talking about it on a platform that's not even accessible to the people that we're talking about. We're going to do that. So we want to just like talk about that before we get into our discussions. So without further ado, let's talk about it. (laughs) So if you haven't already listened to part one, definitely go back and catch up on kind of our character introduction, everything that we talked about in the first half of the book. This part is going to kind of cover everything else that we learned in the second half. And then we're going to kind of wrap it all up with our reviews and our writing at the end. Where we left off, Charlie had kind of had a night out with Slash. She was being a little more rebellious. February had learned about the budget cuts, River Valley possibly being closed. And then we also had Austin who had a baby sister that was born hearing And considering he's from like a deaf dynasty, that was a very big shock to them. And so we kind of see the beginning stages of him learning to deal and cope with that a little bit. In the second half of the book, we had a few new introductions. We had Kayla. Love the roomie. Have you, do you know the Uncomfortable podcast hosted by Dom? I think her name is Dom Roberts. Um, she's a African-American activist and she talks a lot on, she has her own podcast yeah. and her own Instagram platform, very much the same vibes, like very educated, very well-spoken, knows exactly what she's trying to educate people on. Like it, it was just every time that I pictured Kayla, that's who I pictured. Just a bad bitch. Yeah. And she like loves the internet, very tech savvy, wants to be like TikTok famous and make a bunch of money and take care of her mom and her aunt because they've done so much for her. Yeah. I love Kayla and kind of like her character introduction. And I felt like she was what this story is kind of missing in a way. Like she just kind of fit in so well to the group. So yeah, I loved that. And it kind of highlighted another you know, it was another opportunity to talk about something that a lot of people may not know about, like black sign language and racism in the deaf community. And, you know, that's something that I would have not known about if not being mentioned in this book. Like I never even would have thought about the different dialects of sign language within America. You know, that's not even something I knew existed. Yeah. I mean, I never thought about that either, how, you know, deaf schools were also segregated back in the day. And so you did have two like different learning curriculums kind of. And so now you have both, you know, ASL and then you have black ASL and they are a little bit different. And so we saw kind of Austin kind of like correcting Kayla's sign language. Obviously we see her like being very, very protective of it just because she signs it a different way doesn't make her way wrong. It's just different and then they also kind of talked about the older generation Austin's grandparents uh, he was talking about how they signed differently as well because they're older and so they signed more like how the older generation does than how like the younger mm-hmm. kids do too yeah I agreed I, it reminds me of how like our grandparents have sayings that like we don't have like my grandmother's super southern super small town like you know oh I do declare you know like all that stuff (laughs) and when she started talking or when she started signing and he corrected her I loved how she you know called him out on it told him exactly why it was wrong 
didn't go easy on him. But then when he apologized, she gave him an opportunity to do more. You know, she did a TikTok with him that was teaching people the difference in like what black sign language is and like exactly what needed to happen. I, I was, I think it was really interesting and a really good thing for Sarah to include in the book of like, this is how you can handle it correctly. Like, yeah. And I think Austin learned that was like an educating moment for him as well. Like he actually realized what was wrong. I think he truly didn't realize at first that he had done anything to offend her until she kind of, you know, opened up a little more about it. And so I think the fact of him like being very worried that all these people were going to have these misconceptions about him because of that one mistake, but he was actually willing to kind of like learn and she was willing to move on from it. And so, yeah, I thought it was a very good kind of like learning moment there. Agreed. Another um, character that we kind of got introduced to was Elliot, who we kind of learned a little bit about in the first half of the book, but... We didn't know really his backstory or how he came to River Valley. It was hard to read. It it was really hard to read his background. So like, we'll talk about Elliot's background and then go into like what the deaf quote unquote cures were. But Elliot was in a car accident with his mom and his dad. His dad ended up passing away like really, really tragically. They watched him die. It was it was really devastating. And then after that, his mom was kind of lost and looking for a way that she could move forward and heal. And she got involved with the church. You know, Elliot goes to support his mom, but, you know, he can't really follow what's being talked about in church because it's not there's no sign language. It's just a pastor who's preaching up top and he can't, you know, see the words from far away. He's just kind of there to support. And then one day they go to a special revival uh, sermon and they're like in the in the church and they start calling him up to the front and they bring Elliot up to the front. And they start pouring hot oil into his ear and try to use a miracle. Yeah, they were trying to recreate what's in the Bible where Jesus spits into a person's ear and suddenly they're healed from their deafness. It was just a pastor trying to recreate that and it burned his face. And that's what his scar is from. He's got a a big burn mark on the side of his face from this hot oil and so after that, he escaped and he ran away to River Valley. And that's how he ended up being in the school. And so a few a few of the cures that are listed in the book, but even as far back as like the ancient times, it was said to an Egyptian recipe that said to inject olive oil, red lead, bat wings, ant eggs, and goat urine into the ear that hears badly. You know, like Alexa said, the story of Jesus healing a deaf man using saliva. There was faith healings, hearing rituals. There were herbal and spiritual methods in like early 17th century. Ear trumpets. Yeah, ear trumpets. The use of ear trumpets. Those gained actually like more popularity in like the 18th century. You have just like a variation of all kinds of harsh chemicals like mercury, silver nitrate, cauterization, electricity, UV light, all these terrible things that, as you can probably imagine, were very, very, very painful for a lot of people. It goes on for pages. Like, it is three pages long, and she lays out, um, she being Sarah, the author, like, she lays out 
how far back it goes, what time period, what they did. I mean, it, it just, I mean, it goes on and on and it's devastating reading it. Like it really was, it, this was one of the hardest things I had to read. If you have the book, it's pages 205, 206, and 207 to read. Yeah, for sure. One of the questions, like she also adds these discussion questions into the book, which I love. One of them is, at what line does the practice of designer babies become unethical and who gets to decide? So that was like a huge problem in the book was cochlear implants. We see that like Charlie has one. It does not work very well at all for her. Ends up electrocuting her. It does. That was crazy. She got electrocuted by her own implant that was inside of her head. And the cochlear implant that she had ended up being recalled for that very reason. That was a that was a very interesting scene with her mom because, you know, in that doctor's appointment, it's her, her mom, the interpreter and the doctor. And then the doctor's like, oh yeah, there's been a recall on this specific cochlear implant. And the mom's like, why didn't you tell us? And he was like, oh, well, you know, we just kind of do self-reporting. You know, if you have a problem, we can take it out. And then, you know, we can try the other side of her head. And obviously Charlie's freaking out. And she's like, no, like, I don't want that. I don't want to do another surgery. Yeah, exactly. And then right after, you know, they don't take it out regardless of the recall and she gets freaking electrocuted. Yeah. And then like Austin's parents were kind of in a debate argument about getting his hearing sister who slowly starts to lose her hearing and they realize that it's just going to deteriorate over time and that she's actually not going to be hearing. They talk about implanting her. So I guess that's really where the question came from is, should parents be able to implant their child or or the child should be able to make its own decision when it gets older? But I feel yeah. like for me, I feel like when you're told by a medical professional that this will increase, you know, if something's wrong with your kid when you have it or a baby when you have it and they say this will increase their quality of life, you're obviously going to take that route to increase mm-hmm. your child's quality of life. So I feel like a big issue is the information that is coming from medical professionals to these parents of deaf children about cochlear implants and, you know, whether they're actually safe or not and what their benefits are, you know, what the actual success rate is. And I definitely don't think they should be hindering them from learning American Sign Language. I mean, that should be the primary language that they learn is the main thing there. Yeah, that was shocking. Whenever the doctor told Charlie's mom, do not teach her sign language because she'll rely on sign language instead of her cochlear implant. Okay. That's so fucked up in so many ways because like the cochlear implant, like I didn't, I don't, I didn't understand what a cochlear implant was exactly before this book. And they literally drill into your skull, you know, like it's not, and it's not giving you hearing. Like you can't hear the way that a hearing person can, like you can pick up on stuff, but it's not going to sound the same. It's not going to be, you know, and it's different for every person that has it. It's just, it was just a really eye-opening um, situation to hear Charlie's mom say, like, I drained my inheritance to pay for this cochlear implant because the doctor said that this would be the right thing to do. Like, I understand right. why Charlie's mom did it, but it was because of a lack of knowledge. Like, it was a lack of education. Right. And then as Charlie got older, she didn't listen to Charlie, who is the deaf person. She listened to the doctor and she continued to listen to the doctor. 
it was interesting. Honestly, the scenes with Charlie's mom were some of my favorite just because of the tension. And I feel like it's the most realistic. Like, I think that is a very real thing that a majority of the deaf community goes through. Yeah. And I think she, you know, Charlie just wants to be heard at the end of the day. I think all the things she, uh, she kind of does to act out Robin, the hardware store, even the protest at the end, everything she is trying to accomplish here is getting people to like hear her and understand what she's trying to say and tell them. I I mean, I agree with what Charlie said is that her mom was trying to make her mom's life easier instead of trying to make her daughter's life easier. But I agree with what you said that we can't just blame her mom because she's uneducated. She doesn't know she's getting information from medical professionals that she should be able to trust and believe in who actually, I don't think know as much as they claim to know about the deaf culture and the deaf community. Like if we were more educated about the deaf culture in, you know, in the hearing culture, I I feel like it's just been a bunch of misinformation spread throughout history. And I feel like this book does a very good job of showing what happened, why there are stereotypes, where the stereotypes came from, what the implications of the stereotypes were all the way from the ancient Egyptians to Alexander Graham Bell in the 1880s to present day, you know, it kind of lays out exactly what happened. I really like overall, I enjoyed the fiction part of the book, obviously, like that's what we do. We review books, but it was the nonfiction part of true biz that really drew me in, you know? Yeah. Yeah, me too. The little, like snippets that she added at the end of every chapter. Yeah, those were some of my favorite parts because it was all statistics and like history lessons from over the years that were correlating to what she was talking about in the book. Um, I do want to jump into February and Mel's relationship and how there was just no conclusion yeah. at the end. Yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I want to talk about February kind of all together so she goes through a lot in this second half we kind of talked in the first half about how we were really rooting for february and her whole character but her mother died which was Ugh. heartbreaking oh my god I hated, I, that. I hated it i i cried like i had tears coming down my eyes yeah. because it was just oh it was so sad like she didn't even get to say goodbye yeah. you know And a part of me, if I was February, I can't say that a part of me would not resent Mel a little bit because I feel like Mel pushed her to make that decision to like move her mom into a home. Yeah, I think it was the right thing because, you know, if her mom is escaping from the house due to her, you know, her brain deteriorating, you know, like that's what's happening realistically, like. It's to a point where either they need to have a full-time caregiver in their house watching her or they would have to move her to the towers like they did. So, like, I get why Mel did that, but I totally agree. Like, I would, there would be some resentment there for me. Yeah, that would be, that was just, like, I feel like something else just thrown onto February's plate that she kind of had to deal with and get over. Agreed. And on top of that, she's dealing with the school closing. Like, she just has so much weighing her down. And I honestly felt um her not feeling comfortable with Mel like not maybe not feeling comfortable but like we all know that feeling when you're just weighed down with something it takes the right person to get you to open up and that person is not necessarily always 
your, your significant, significant other. other. Yeah. Yeah. I think her, that's a good point about her and Wanda's relationship because I was kind of at first like, okay, this is weird. Is she going to like turn her back on Mel now and like kind of go back to Wanda? But yeah, I agree. I think Wanda kind of like gave her some sort of solace that like Mel couldn't give her. Yeah. And I do think it was wrong of February not to prioritize her wife. Like obviously February should have told Mel about the school right off the bat because that that affects Mel hardcore because Mel lives on school grounds, you know, Mm -hmm. like that's her wife's school. It was just like one thing after another. I definitely think February was in the wrong, but I also understand where she was coming from. Yeah. But it was weird that there was no conclusion. That is so weird. I wanted some kind of conclusion to their relationship 100%. Yeah. So at the end, River Valley ultimately closed its doors, which was super sad. Yeah. And like the protest didn't happen. The school closed its doors. We never found out what happened with like really anybody, you know, Mm -hmm. which I like. You know, I mean, I kind of like I would have liked a little more closure of like, I don't know, like where what happened? Where does everybody go? Elliot, the students like we didn't really learn very much at the end about like where they kind of went. Which the protest, the protest gave me anxiety the whole way through. Like um, every scene that Slash was a part of just made the like maternal instinct in me just rage, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Freaked me out. For sure. What were your ending thoughts and what <clears throat> would you rate the book out of five stars? Okay. I really think this book is a must read. Like I am calling this a books, bites, booze, must read book. I think like I've already like told my mom that she's going to read this after we record this. Like I'm giving it to her to read. I've been recommending it to people. I think it's so important. We as hearing people educate ourselves and that's what this book does. Yeah. Um, the fiction part of it, I really enjoyed. I really enjoyed the story. I enjoyed the characters. I enjoyed their struggles, learning their stories, everything. Um, I didn't like the ending, but at the same time, like it's such an important book that like, I want to give it a five. Like I want people to read this book. Like I want people to take away from this episode and go buy this book and read it and share it with everyone. Yeah. Like the fic- the actual like content of the book, I would probably give like a four, but I'm going to give it a five because like I want people to read it. Like okay. I want people to go home and buy this book and read it and learn. So for me, I'm giving it four stars. You know that I'm still waiting on just that wow book to blow me away to give it that fifth star. But yeah, as far as like just the fiction part of this book, I honestly probably would have given it three stars. But um, kind of like you said, her kind of bringing in all of the different history, the statistics, even the diagrams of like the ASL in the book. I truly felt like I was learning along with Charlie. I loved the setting of RVSD. I loved, you know, just like the school feel kind of. I loved the characters. I thought it was like a great kind of coming of age story as well. We kind of get that along. And I love that she talked about important topics, but kind of kept it 
you know, a little light. I didn't feel like this was such a heavy book. You know, we it educated me a lot, but it also like enlightened me. I was happy when I finished it. It wasn't like a sad yeah. story, if that makes sense Agreed. at all. <laughs> no, I completely agree. So with all of that, I would give it um, four out of five stars for sure. I definitely think it's important and I think everybody should read it, if nothing else, for the history lesson that you get. So I agree. Okay, so I'm going to give four stars, but I'm calling it a must read. Okay, (laughs) got it. Four stars from both of us, but it's definitely a must read. Yeah, 100%. Like I have never doggy eared a book like I just am not the kind of person that doggy ears in books like I don't do that I try to keep them in good condition yeah but like I mean you can't see it but there's just doggy ear after doggy (laughs) ear in this book because there's stuff that I want to go back and reread and learn about again and like go look up more information like there's a page in here where she just lists interesting people and it says notable people and it's got like a bunch of different people that you can go look up and like, I'm going to do it. Yeah. You know, like I yeah. want to keep reading and yeah. keep learning. So, and just like extra homework, you know, if you want an extra gold star at the end of the day, I'm going to go ahead and give the textbooks that I got from my sign language class. My teacher was absolutely amazing. Um, she taught me more about the deaf community Uh, Like, I mean, her and this book have been my biggest sources. So I'm just going to go ahead and give the names of the textbooks. One is called Signing Naturally Student Workbook, Units 1 through 6. It's by Cherie Smith, LMA Lentz, and Ken Mikos. The other one is called Sign Language Made Simple. It's by Karen B. Lewis and Roxanne Henderson. I mean, these two books are amazing. Like, you go through and it explains how you make the hand movements and it talks about ways to form the sentences like grammatically it just it has a lot of information in it so if you are looking to learn more about sign language and you want to expand your knowledge i highly recommend those two books on a totally different topic let's move into some food recipes we've covered the books we've covered the booze let's talk about bites all right so madison what did you cook this week Last week, um, we actually started doing Home Chef again. So I'm going to give a Home Chef recipe that I kind of tweaked a little bit at the end. But it is a beefy enchilada skillet or casserole. Mm. It's a one pan, easy kind of meal. The ingredients that you need are four uh, small corn tortillas, two ounces of shredded cheddar jack cheese, one ounce of flour, 16 ounces of ground beef, 8 ounces of black beans, taco seasoning, 2 green onions, 3 ounces of sour cream, uh, red enchilada sauce, and then corn. You're going to start by cooking your ground beef and adding the white parts of your green onion into the pan to cook with your beef. Once it's cooked all the way through, drain the excess fat. Then you're going to add your flour And stir that in until there's no flour remaining. You're going to add a third cup of water, enchilada sauce, corn, your taco seasoning, um, a pinch of salt, and a pinch of pepper. Bring all of that to a simmer. Once it's simmering, you're going to add in your tortillas. I like cut my tortilla, my four corn tortillas into little triangles. Stir in your tortilla wedges and your black beans. Once all those are stirred in, I've uh, transferred it from the pan into a casserole dish 
If you have an oven safe pan, you don't need to transfer it. You can just move your whole pan into the oven if you're cooking it into like an oven safe pan. But I wasn't. So I moved mine to a casserole dish and then topped it with cheese. Baked in the oven at 350 degrees for about 10 minutes until my cheese was all the way melted. Took it out and topped it with the rest of my fresh green onions and sour cream. And then you can just eat as is or you can add additional chips, whatever you want to do. And that's it. It's super easy. Yum, yum, yum. (laughs) What did you cook? Um, I made a gluten-free chicken Alfredo. It was absolutely delicious. Uh, I found this girl's Instagram. It's called, she's Susie Vidal on Instagram. It's S-U-S-I-V-I-D-A-L. And I found her Instagram and just dove through her reels like just watched all of the recipes and like flagged the ones that I wanted to uh to make so this one is one of her more recent ones it's the chicken alfredo I'll read the ingredients and then read the actual recipe so you're going to use one and a half pounds of chicken breast on the chicken breast you're just going to season them with salt pepper smoked paprika and Italian seasoning you need olive oil one package of Palmini's Linguini pasta. So the Palmini's Linguini is gluten-free and it's a 12 ounce package. You're going to need five garlic cloves minced, four tablespoons of salted butter, half teaspoon of onion powder, half teaspoon of pepper, one tablespoon of fresh basil chopped, one teaspoon of fresh oregano chopped, one teaspoon of fresh Italian parsley chopped, one and a fourth cup of heavy cream, one cup of finely grated Parmesan, and a half cup of grated Asiago cheese. So I know that sounds like a lot, but most of that is spices that a lot of people already have in their cabinet. Um, Me personally, I just had to go buy the chicken breast, the linguine pasta, and then the two types of cheeses. So you should already have like a lot of that in your fridge. Uh, The actual recipe itself Generously season each side of the chicken breast, add olive oil to a preheated cast iron on medium-high heat, add the chicken and cook each side undisturbed for five to six minutes or until fully cooked, remove the pan, cover it with foil, then you're going to rinse the palmini noodles under water for about five minutes and set aside, then heat a large pan on medium heat, add butter and garlic, cook for one minute, and then add onion powder, pepper, and fresh herbs. Once the garlic is fragrant and you can smell it a pretty good bit, add in that heavy cream, bring to a small simmer, not to where it's boiling, but just simmering and then stir frequently. After about 10 to 15 minutes, that heavy cream should thicken and add the Parmesan and Asiago cheese. If that tastes good to you, then that is ready. If not, you can just add salt and pepper to taste. Once the cheese is melted, add in the noodles, let them sit for about three minutes until fully warmed up. Chop up the chicken and toss with the noodles and sauce. Then you can just top it with your basil and Parmesan. And then you have it. Yum. Yeah. So if you're looking for a keto-friendly, gluten-free, or just, you know, a low-carb meal, or if you just want to eat it, you know, like if you just, that sounds good to you, just go make it. I love chicken Alfredo. So that sounds delicious. And it's something that I don't get to eat that often. And as a gluten-free person, I feel personally victimized by the pasta industry. And so this is a really great recipe for everyone. (laughs) (laughs) So we have a new bookstagram of the month for you guys. We like to do this um, in part two of our episodes just to kind of give recognition to some of our followers on Instagram and stuff. 
that show us a lot of support. And so we like to kind of give a shout out to one each month. So this month we are doing Read, Drink, and Be Mary, M-A-R-Y. So it's her name. She shares drink recipes, book recommendations, sort of like us with the cocktail theme. Her feed is just literally stunning. It's so beautiful, such bright colors. We have a lot of the same style in kind of books that we read, which I noticed. And yeah, so go check her out. It's Read, Drink, and Be Merry, M-A-R-Y. So yeah. Yes. Thanks, Mary. Hey. (laughs) (laughs) So we are reading next. Breathless by Amy McCulloch. I'm excited. Do you want to read the intro for us? Yeah, I got you. So this one is a thriller. Shocking, I know, everyone. Madison went back to our route. (laughs) (laughs) So this is just the, you know, little intro that they share on books or uh, book of the month. There's a killer on the mountain. Journalist Cecily Wong is in over her head. She's come to, I think it's called Manislu the eighth highest peak in the world, to interview internationally famous mountaineer Charles McVeigh on the last leg of a record-breaking series of summits. She's given up everything for this story, her boyfriend, her life savings, the peace she's made with her climbing failures in the past, but it's a career-making opportunity. It could finally put her life back on track. But when one climber dies in what everyone else is assuming is a freak accident, She fears their expedition is in danger, and by the time a second climber dies, it's too late to turn back. Stranded on a mountain in one of the most remote regions of the world, she'll have to battle more than the elements in a harrowing fight for survival against a killer who is picking them off one by one. It sounds so good. So I actually have started it. I cheated and went ahead and started and I'm like a quarter of the way through the book. I can already tell. The suspense is going to be amazing. The setting is great. Like they're hiking this freaking 8,000 meter mountain. Um, We kind of like learn more about the mountaineering industry. Sounds super interesting that these people like hike and climb these huge ass mountains because I don't think I could ever, ever, ever do it. But (laughs) it sounds so fun and I love to listen about other people doing it. Agreed. Um, on her website, Madison sent me a link to where she talks about Breathless. And she was talking about, um, she called it Breathless because looking up at the mountain, like at just the sheer height of it, just she was in awe. Like she was literally breathless looking at this mountain and she wanted to write a book recreating that feeling. And so that's why it's called Breathless. But I'm really excited. And it's based on a story like about her, like she actually did this. So I feel like the narrator as well, she, the author, Amy, is a Chinese-American, and so is the narrator, and I'm really, really, really excited to kind of read it. I think it's cool that she actually experienced these things, so yeah. I'm so excited. Our next episode, we'll be back with part one of our discussion about halfway through the book of Breathless, and we will, of course, have new cocktail recipes new dinner recipes, and then we also have some interesting things that have been happening in the book world. We'll be talking about books that are becoming movies and TV shows. I'm so excited. Yay. Thanks for listening, and we'll see y'all next time. See y'all next time. Thanks. Bye. Bye.